0: Greetings, listeners, and welcome to the princeton Tory podcast. My name is Billy Wade of the Princeton Class of 2023 and your host today. Today, we have a special podcast with not one, not two, but three distinguished Princeton professors to discuss a relevant topic for all university campuses, especially our very own Princeton. Now, before we dive in, I would like to introduce our guests. We have with us today Professor Sergio Kleinerman, Professor John Londergren, and Professor Elizabeth Bogan. Professor Sergio Kleinerman is currently the Eugene Higgins Professor of Mathematics at Princeton University, where he has been teaching since 1987. He was named a MacArthur Fellow, a Guggenheim Fellow, and received the Boker Prize for his groundbreaking contributions to the study of hyperbolic differential equations and general relativity. Before coming to Princeton, Kleinerman studied at the University of Bucharest and New York University, where he obtained his PhD and began his teaching career. Professor John Londegren is is a professor of politics and international affairs at Princeton University, and is a specialist in the development and application of statistical methods in political science. He graduated with his bachelor's degree from the University of Washington and completed his PhD here at Princeton in 1988. Since then, he has taught at a few noble institutions, including Carnegie Mellon and UCLA, eventually returning to Princeton, where he has taught courses on quantitative analysis, since 2001. Professor Elizabeth Bogan taught economics at Princeton University from 1990 to 2020. Her introduction to macroeconomics was one of the largest classes in Princeton, and in fact, one that I took. She also taught American economic history and public economics. Before coming to Princeton, she was chairman of the economics department at Fairleigh Dickinson University. She also won many teaching awards including the Richard Quant Prize in Economics. Professor Bogan is a graduate of Wesleyan College and holds an MA in Quantitative Economics from the University of New Hampshire and a PhD in Economics from Columbia University. Now outside of their Princeton affiliations and impressive resumes, our guests share something in common that will be the topic of today's discussion. That is a passion for free speech, and academic freedom on campus and elsewhere. Thank you each for coming on the podcast. Thank you. Of course. So <clears throat> before we dive into uh, what's going to be a fascinating discussion, having spent time <clears throat> with various warriors on or for free speech, I've noticed that many have had a certain Saul on the road to Damascus moment where, 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 where they realized the importance of freedom of thought, inquiry, speech, et cetera. I was wondering if, if, if any of you have had one of those personal road to Damascus experiences when, when your understanding of free speech changed forever.
1: Well, OK, maybe I can start. So uh, for me, it's easy in a way and also complicated from another point of view. Easy because I come from Romania, I come from a country where there was no free speech. Uh, there was, uh, everything was compelled speech. Uh, everything was a lie. Uh, and uh, I, I know exactly how it manifested itself at school, to university, uh, the inability of people to express anything uh, in public. Uh, and, sort of total conformity uh, with the wishes of the party, uh, the wishes of the local organizations, which are always, of course, connected with the party. Now, uh, since I came to the United States, I, 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 of course, I was very happy to, I thought I, I was living in a country where uh, academic freedom and free speech was taken for granted. Uh, and uh, I thought so uh, for quite a long time, until uh, by, by talking to various people, I started to realize that, uh, that this is not quite so. Even at Princeton, there were problems. Anyway, um, but the the real moment when I started to realize that uh, freedom of speech was an issue, a big issue uh, at Princeton, was uh, was this uh, July Fourth faculty letter. The reply of uh, Joshua Katz, his article, and then the reaction of the university to that article. That's when I, I started to feel that this is, uh, I mean, it's becoming very, very serious. And the comparisons uh, with what I lived through in Romania were becoming very, very relevant.
0: You know what? That's actually a perfect segue into the meat of our discussion. So let's go ahead and jump in. So you mentioned before uh, 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 a faculty letter from July 4, 2020, which was signed by hundreds of Princeton faculty demanding that that the uh, school administration adopt various, quote, anti-racist policies. Um, For those who who, who maybe do not know, Professor Katz, who who is a a distinguished scholar at Princeton in the Classics Department, he penned a letter in opposition in which he referred to a student group on campus, the Black Justice League, as, quote, a small terrorist organization that made life miserable for many, including the many Black students who did not agree with its members' demands. Um, Since then, for this comment, uh, Katz has found himself on, on a university website entitled To Be Known and Heard, which showcases various episodes of racism at Princeton. And so, among the mentions of blackface and actual discrimination in Princeton's history, is a whole section on Joshua Katz and his single heterodox position. So, I think jumping from there, uh, 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 Professor Bogan, uh, you seem ready to, to, to jump in.
2: Yes, because the To Be Known and Heard, which was put up on the university website in January 2021, is absolutely outrageous. Um, They single out Professor Katz and call him a racist. They base it on a falsified quote from his July 2020 article. Most of the article correctly stated that many of the demands in the July 4th, 2020 faculty petition, petition were blatantly illegal under the 1964 Civil Rights Act, which is totally true. I wish more people would actually read his Quillette article. I think they would find it not to be racist. However, Professor Katz did use the hyperbole you referred to just a moment ago of calling the Black Justice League, which existed on campus just in 2014 to 16, a terrorist organization, and as you said, that it made life miserable for many, including the many Black students who did not agree with its members' demands. Clearly, Joshua was concerned about Black as well as other students, but that didn't fit the narrative of the authors of to be known and heard. So, of course, the phrase referring to Black students was omitted, there is no chance that this important parenthetical phrase was accidentally removed. The person who removed it wished to frame Joshua as a racist, but Joshua and I both knew black students who disagreed with the takeover and occupation of the president's office. I too know that the Black Justice League treated them badly. Joshua was just saying that the Black Justice League was not a helpful student club. That was true.
0: Well, thank you, for, uh, Professor Bogan. And, and uh, uh, I know in response to all that, there were certain institutions. Uh, and before we get into that, let's go to Professor Laundergood.
3: Well, um, just on that, on that same subject, um, <clears throat> it came to the attention of Professor Robbie, Robert George that leaders of the Black Justice League were conducting a campaign of harassment against a Black woman undergraduate student, threatening to ruin her future prospects and referring to her as, quote, Aunt Jemima. Professor George reached out to the student and arranged for her to meet with Vice President Rochelle Calhoun. Uh, Professor George was present in the meeting, which was in VP Calhoun's office. And after hearing the young woman's story, Vice President Calhoun said she would see to it that the harassment stopped, and it did. Um, later, the student was invited to share her experience of being subjected to abuse at the hands of the BJL leaders with, Professor, with President I, Chris Eisgruber. That meeting took place in President Eisgruber's office. I have this from Professor George. And I think that's important background to understanding the chemistry of, of the Black Justice League and the whole controversy surrounding uh, Professor Katz. Maybe uh, I can add uh, one more thing, uh, which
1: I mentioned in my article in in Tablet a few days ago. Uh, He uh, was instrumental in in actually helping lots of people, but in particular, helping uh, a very prominent uh, uh, Black linguist or Black classicist, I should say. and uh, who is very well-known in Princeton. So uh, the notion that he was in any way racist is absolutely, uh, was absolutely ridiculous.
2: It was was absolutely no
1: substance to it.
2: I'd like to add something to that too. Um, For many years, Professor Katz and I served as faculty fellows and student advisors in Forbes college. I observed him interacting with all kinds of students with care and concern for their academic success and their personal well-being. I am personally certain that Joshua Katz is not a racist. Rather, he is part of the tradition of Princeton that I most love—that our faculty really cares about all our students.
0: Certainly, yes, and and so following that fact pattern, it seems very obvious to me that certainly Professor Katz is not a a racist, uh, and that. Uh, using the term "terrorist," well, uh, one could argue whether or not that was the correct term. At the very least, there is some evidence to potentially support that that claim. So, um, Professor Kleinerman, you already mentioned your piece in Tablet uh, from a couple of days ago. Now, uh, that was in response to a letter from President Eisgruber. That was in response to a letter from the Academic Freedom Alliance. Uh, headed by uh, Princeton's own Keith Whittington, in which Professor Whittington stated uh, quite a few of these arguments that we, we we've already laid out today, uh, calling on the university to remove the section on uh, Professor Katz from the the website we have mentioned. President Eisgruber responds and, and and makes this 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 argument about free speech, saying that well he can't quash someone else's free speech in criticizing. Uh, Uh, Professor Katz for his use of 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 language now Professor Kleinerman, in in your uh a piece in response to uh Professor Eisgruber you lay out why that argument is folly in your mind so I was wondering if you could expand a little bit on that
1: yeah so uh in uh there were actually a few interventions not not just uh by uh, AFA, uh but also by FIRE and ACTA, which are all organizations that they uh, de- are defending academic freedom. And uh, uh, Professor Eisgruber, or I should say, the president Eisgruber, uh, responds to just uh, one of them um, from uh, uh, Chris from uh, from Whittington, in which. Uh, uh in which by uh, i can i can quote actually what he says here is what he says are you asking that i censor the website uh if so i find that request which is similar which i the in is written by me which is similar to the request so far acta and uh, um, pfs uh troubling Uh, And I would need to understand better how you reconcile it with the principle of academic freedom and free speech that you champion. I'm certain that you would agree that on a university campus, censorship, including via the compelled removal of information from a website, is a strongly disfavored response to the controversial speech. So, I mean, what I say, and I I think I I was right, my response in the article was: this is a little bit like saying that in denouncing would-be traitors of the Soviet Union on trapped-up charges in the 1930s, Andrei Vyshinsky, who was the main prosecutor of the Stalin Moscow trial, uh, was simply exercising his freedom of speech, or that Joseph McCarthy was also exercising his freedom of speech when he was attacking uh, various peoples uh, on the pretense that they were communists. Uh, or I could say the same thing about cultural revolution in China. So in any case, I mean, the, the point being that, that somehow uh, it, what Eisgur uh, was doing was sort of expanding the notion of freedom of speech to the point where it becomes totally irrelevant. When you assume that, that somehow by accusing people uh, on Trump-type charges, that you are also exercising a freedom of speech, and in particular, when this is done by an institution which has a lot of power, and this case was uh, the university itself, uh, that this uh, is an exercise in freedom of speech is, of course, completely ridiculous. And uh, from that point of view, I, I should point, I, I, I should say something in defence of uh, a principle that uh, I wrote about it before, uh, which was uh, the principle of neutrality of the universities. The universities should not. Exercise its power to uh, espouse opinions or espouse political positions uh, that really are uh, the, the type of opinions that personal individuals in the university are, are free to exercise. But the university should stay should stay clear from any kind of positions which might interfere with the freedom of speech of other uh, the individual faculty members or students of the university.
2: If I could just uh, summarize that in a short form. Shouting people down as was recently done at Yale Law School is not free speech. And institutional shaming for a difference of opinion is not free speech. I agree with everything he says. Yeah,
1: that's perfect. You can't say it better than this.
0: Yeah, so I, I, I'm curious about a specific part of that. So let's say, and there certainly were, but, but uh, let's say there is, is a, just a, another professor who says what Professor Katz was racist and wrong and, and you know, go down the list. That is fine, correct? Yes. But it, it is the, the, the institution's power coming down and, and harassing the professor. That is what is incorrect.
3: Got it. Sure. I mean, various people have already said what you characterized. I mean, lots of folks have signed their name to statements along those lines. But the objection is that this happened in a mandatory event for freshmen with the imprimatur of the university,
0: mm-hmm. and
3: it was very clearly Princeton saying to all incoming freshmen, "Look, Professor Katz is racist, and using him as an exemplar of racism. That's and and in retaliation for his." Expression of a point of view that they didn't like. Somebody didn't like, and that's actually an interesting question, right? Chris Eisgruber talked about uh, someone exercising their free speech rights, but actually, the only name that's associated with authorship of that website is the university itself. Mm-hmm. Several people were interviewed on the web page and expressed their opinions, but they weren't identified as authors of the web page, and there's no reason to believe they are any more than than um, you know. I'm the author of this interview. I'm just being interviewed. And so were, so were those people. But the webpage itself took the position on Professor Katz and the only name associated with it is Princeton University.
1: And of course the selection, they selected certain people who had expressed certain opinions and uh, there, there were many, many other people who would have had the opposite opinion. So if they really wanted to have an exercise on freedom of speech around this issue of uh, Professor Katz, they should have invited other people who would express different opinions and have a conversation. That's not what they did.
3: Well, and especially because it was mandatory, right? If it was was just a voluntary event, then fine, people can attend or not attend. And if you have a point of view, you have a point of view. But everyone was required to attend this. And so at that point, it's incumbent on you to at least provide some balance. Now, there's a there's a sort of interesting interesting uh, difference here. The university has adopted the Chicago principles and they're now in rights, rules, and responsibilities. So as a matter of, of university, po- free speech is now a matter of university policy. The Calvin Report also associated with, uh, with Chicago um, from, from an earlier era, uh, makes perfectly good sense and takes the position that the university should remain neutral in matters of public debate, that it's, uh, we're an institution universities are collectively institutions dedicated to the quest for learning not to the promulgation of opinion that is a matter of good common moral sense but it's not officially princeton university policy and in fact uh you know various w- the dean of the uh, the school of public and international affairs disagrees with it and expresses her opinions as dean um so that's in a somewhat different bin. I, I still think it's very important, and I think we ought to adopt it as university policy, but it's in a somewhat different bin than the Chicago principles, uh, the Chicago Free Speech principles, which are official university policy by vote of the faculty. And yeah. actually, ironically enough, you know one of one of the signal achievements of the Eisgruber administration, you know if we think back to uh, who was president of the university one hundred and ten years ago, um, and that person had things named after him, um, and one wonders—you know—110 years from now, if someone is going to dename, uh, what, what will what will be there in 110 years to dename uh, that's named after uh, President Eisgruber? And I think if there is something, it'll be something associated with the free speech principles that were adopted during his administration. Ironically enough.
1: Exactly, and as somebody who was involved in in our fighting for for adopting the chicago principle i i, I really have to say that Prof that the, the president of was extremely supportive of it so it 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 really is in a way was a shock for me to see that he can adopt the position that he he has adopted in response to uh to this uh, letter of Whittington.
0: yeah so i would actually love love to focus in on that because um professor kleinman in the beginning of your tablet article you talk about uh the 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 potential incompatibility of holding two truths at the same time and, and you mentioned social justice and you mentioned uh free speech and and you point out that you don't think that you know at very least um president eisgruber's conception of social justice is compatible with free speech but you do mention and you refer to a quote, more nuanced version of social justice that could be compatible with free speech. And so I'll, I'll, I was curious if, if, if you could uh, uh, expound a little bit more on that and yeah. how, in, 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 in whether or not there can be some sort of co- cohesion between those two principles.
1: Yes, indeed. I mean, uh, I, I, I do feel that, uh, for, for example, uh, the notion of systemic racism that was espoused by uh, by Heisberg, is, is is wrong? I mean, because exactly because it's it sort of assumes that any time you, you have any kind of uh, discrepancy between the results of one group or another, uh, it's because of racism. Uh, that, that's a position that sort of it's argued by people who people like Candy, for example. And I totally disagree with that position. I mean, I, I think it's completely wrong. Uh, it's very divisive. It leads to all sorts of issues uh it has to be enforced if anything uh by quotas for example or by by all sorts of other things which uh uh which go against uh the other principles that they talk about one is is married that, that and uh, professor i mean again uh the president has many many times talked about the importance of uh, the fact that the university is a is is an excellent university uh, and that means married. Uh, and uh, this doesn't quite work very, very well with, with uh, quotas. But anyway, leaving that aside, uh, I, I think that the university could have a role uh, in social justice. For example, I, I wrote another article uh, some time ago. In which I, I mentioned that uh, it would be much much better if the university, instead of putting all its resources on on all this bureaucracy that deals with diversity, equity, and inclusion, it will put a lot of resources in uh, education for schools near Princeton in uh, in Trenton, for example. I mean, create uh, put a lot of money into creating uh, uh, educational resources where it really matters, which is at the level of kindergarten or, or uh, schools or high schools middle school high schools uh, create a school I mean you know they have enormous amount of resources why don't they put uh, some of these resources in in uh, if it if, if, if uh, president iceberger is so uh, involved I mean, and it's so worried about, uh, about the inequalities that exist in our society. And of course, inequality is real, there's any question. Uh, and given the fact that the university is so rich, why not, uh, why not start these sort of things, uh, rather than uh, uh, creating all these uh, enormous bureaucratic machines, uh, which are connected with uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion? Anyway, this was my position, and uh, that's more or less what I meant.
2: Yeah, he's bringing up um, the whole woke new definition of equity. The word equity traditionally means fairness, not equal outcomes by identifiable groups rather than equal opportunity. Equity can most people will say, okay, fairness would include equal opportunity. But to try to break us all up into identifiable groups and then say that the median income or the median education has to be exactly the same in each of these different things is nonsense. People are very different. And we want real opportunity, equal opportunity. And I agree with so many things that Sergei says, including that if we want to do something about it, how about preschool uh, for kids who are from at-risk families? You don't have to say red, black, yellow, green, or blue. Just <laughs> At-risk families, so that low-income, uh, other issues that are easily easy to measure, and and try to make more people truly have the ability to rise in America. I mean, one of the times I was criticized for in lecturing was I was talking about how hard it was to you know to get out of your group and and so forth uh, in terms of human capital and getting ahead. And I had a student that come up came up afterwards and said, look my parents were dirt poor immigrants and i'm here at princeton don't lecture me on the lack of opportunity in america and i just took that as a okay i mean I'm, I'm really on your side but i was trying to be inclusive as they say and you know, worried about people of different backgrounds and so forth in the in the economic context and it it, it just really hit me it's one of the very few times that i had a student just come up and say you're dead wrong <laughs> And I loved it, as you can tell.
0: Yeah, I mean that's certainly one of the one of the things that you can have at a place that values free speech is uh, you can tell your professors that you think they are dead wrong. Um, so let's go ahead and return back to the cat situation. Um, obviously, there's been a lot of internal work since 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 that freshman orientation meeting in which that uh, mandatory freshman orientation meeting in which. Uh, 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 Professor Katz was was deemed a racist in front of all the new incoming freshmen who are very impressionable and just soaking in all this information about this new campus in college life. Um, and that there has been lots of internal working since then, and uh, uh, from what I gather there is some kind of breaking news so uh, uh, would would one of you like to uh, just kind of explain what's what, what's going on now.
3: Well, I mean, I think Sergio has pride of place since his, his name was sort of first on first on the memo. But a group of us um, complained about the treatment of uh, of Professor Katz at this at this event, and it went it went into the administration and and sort of echoed around in the administration for a while and came back with this sort of incongruous response, saying, "Well, Professor Katz isn't a member of a protected group, so he's not." If we we don't worry about this so basically you know it wasn't it he wasn't being discriminated against on the basis of his identity and of course he was being discriminated on the basis of his viewpoint and that was the, that was the rubric under which we complained um the uh administration uh seemed to miss that completely even though it was written out in in ink in front of them so um We then appealed to uh, an, an internal university committee about this, and uh, we've just received uh, information back. and apparently this this latest response has uh, leaked out to the press. So I suppose there's no point in in being um, being circumspect about it. Um, but Sergio, do you want to uh, do, you, do you want to take over from there and characterize the, the response? Well, yeah, no. So
1: I, I, I think uh, as far as I understand, we, we are allowed, of course, to talk about the results. Maybe uh, we are not, we are not allowed to publish the results. But if I understand correctly, you are saying somebody has, yeah, this has already happened. So uh, it's too bad. But in any case, uh, here it is. Um, uh, we were vindicated. So essentially, all our, all our complaints. Uh, about the original report coming from uh, from uh, the vice provost minder yeah were uh, vindicated i mean uh, just about any i mean essentially everything that i i uh, i do remember that we put it in our original report uh, was found uh, by uh, by this, uh, this called the committee on conference and faculty appeal and uh, uh, i don't know exactly how much influence such a report has within the university it is uh, it, it is a committee that studies uh vice uh, decisions by the university in various situations uh, there is an appeal process we, we went through this appeal process unfortunately uh, uh the the appeal process was originally rejected by the dean of faculty uh, but it was taken by this committee and the committee has found that uh, the that, uh, university was wrong and that uh, we were right.
2: There were a lot of things that uh, Vice Provost Minter said that just don't make common sense. John already referred to one of them that only people with protected characteristics could be harassed. That's ridiculous. Men can be harassed. Even white men can be harassed. It's just wrong. She also claimed that the video was attacking his speech, not his character. Is it no longer a character assassination to call a professor a racist and alter his quote to try and fit the accusation? It was just unbelievable. She also said it was an unofficial university document, which my colleagues have already said. Of course it was an official. It couldn't have been any more official. Nothing's more official than a trademarked video presented to all first-year students. So there, she came back back with all of these ridiculous comments on what we had uh, you know, misunderstood. And I'm actually really excited this afternoon because for the first time, a group of my uh, colleagues, uh, nine, nine of them unanimously agreed that what we had said in that letter, and I was clearly one of the eight uh, professors uh, who was working with our lead man that um, that's just the way it
1: is. Yeah, and there was in addition to what you say, there was also this doctoring of the court of yes. uh, of Joshua, uh, which she said was not a big deal. Uh, 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 they never apologized. I mean, the, the, by, by the way, the court was later on the doctor the doc, the doctoring of the of the later removed, so the the the, the original quotation was uh, was back was actually put on. The,
3: but okay. there was but there was no retraction or effort to contact the students who seen the earlier version no,
1: no apology whatsoever to
3: to joshua so i think one of the one of the key features of this of this uh, remarkable and important letter is that they recommend that the investigation not be conducted by Minter's office and i think that's very very important and i just hope that we can uh, we can make that happen which, by the way, this was
1: our this was our original uh, uh, in our letter to uh, to the president Eisgruber. That's what we asked. We asked there should be a, a new committee that will look at it, uh, an independent committee that looks at. That.
3: And and the letter notes that uh, some of the some of the um, reasoning that Mintra gave was against university policy, which is a very strong statement to to find in this kind of this kind of letter. And they recommend that someone outside of her office. Uh, conduct the investigation. Um, we can only hope that that happens because otherwise, you know, it was six months that we lost with, uh, with this sort of strange rhetoric um, and strange reaction to the original, uh, the original concerns. And I would hope that we don't lose another six months um, with the same people investigating themselves again with you know, the same, same likelihood of uh, following university policy.
0: Yeah, so on that note, uh obviously there's some, you know, uh, some welcoming signs, but what what are next steps? What what do those next, you know, few weeks, months uh look like? Let, let me j- just one second to add
1: something to what uh, John said. Uh somehow this last 6 months uh really were very very bad for Princeton. I mean, there were many many articles criticizing the actions of, of Princeton. It really gave uh, Princeton a bad name, and uh, I very much hope that this uh, this decision uh, by by this uh, committee, this uh, appeal committee, would would go a long way to uh, to change sort of the narrative about uh, Princeton. Because right now, I think Princeton is is, is feel very badly. Princeton actually comes. the, the there was. I, I remember there was some uh, study about uh, uh, academic freedom at various universities. And um, uh, Princeton comes up very badly, comes up uh, as one of the worst universities right now in terms of uh, uh, its respect for academic freedom.
0: Yeah, yeah and, and, and you are absolutely right. There certainly has been a lot of pressure on the, the university in, in the past few months.
2: Uh, Well, you asked about uh, the condition of free speech at Princeton recently when we were corresponding. And mm -hmm. I I just wanted to add to what my two colleagues just said, that I've been really depressed. I was prepared to tell you that it was awful, you know, that, that any disagreement with the woke orthodoxy was marginalized and criticized and harassment was allowed against sitting faculty who were tenured and all that. And now I'm optimistic. I love Princeton. I, it's the happiest years of my life, and I've been really disappointed the last two years with the way they went after a colleague that I knew well and respected, and I just thought it was terrible. And I'm so excited that, that maybe we're really going to get it to, to be done correctly, and uh, I'm happy about that.
1: You all are. Yeah, I mean, Princeton is also extremely important to me, and I'm sure was yes. the same way. We all, uh, we were very, very depressed. I mean, I personally was extremely depressed about the way, uh, I, I always felt that Princeton uh, was you know, one of the exemplary universities in United States and the world. And the events of the last two years, as you say, really, uh, really dampened my enthusiasm for, for the university. And I hope, I hope, uh, things will go back now. I mean, this is maybe the moment where where uh, finally uh, things will go back to where it was, maybe.
0: Yeah, I mean, it, it certainly seems like things are headed in the right direction. And I have to say, it's truly for the things that we love that we fight the most for. So uh, I think that is absolutely true in this case, both for free speech and for Princeton University. Um, I know myself, I, uh, you. You will be hard-pressed to find me on a day where i'm not wearing something that says princeton on it um that might be the fact that we get so much so many free shirts and whatnot (laughs) that that also influences my 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 attire um so as as we begin to start wrapping up obviously things are pointed in uh, are starting to point in the right directions um but i'm I'm curious, since 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 uh, each one of you teach topics that are uh, incredibly fascinating in their own right, but you're not necessarily teaching free speech courses. But if you were to teach a free speech course, and you know um, we're in that time of year when professors are giving their final lecture, and I found that at the end of those final lectures, uh, professors like to give kind of their their like two cents on 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 whatever thing. It's not going to be graded on a final or anything like that, but you you are in that moment. And what what about free speech? What about being a student at Princeton? Do you really want to resonate uh with you know the class of 22 through the through the incoming class of, of 26 as they begin and 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 continue along in their Princeton careers?
3: Well, I I want my outspoken advisees back. You know, it, it used to it used to be people would walk into my office and they had these wildly outrageous proposals and ideas for for research projects and oh the literature is wrong and yes, policy is set the wrong way. And you know, most of it was was, was off base, but then you'd sort of talk and they go off in some interesting direction and and they'd come back with an interesting thesis. And now everyone's so careful, and I wish, I wish they'd go back to thinking out loud.
2: Hmm.
0: That's a fascinating one. Professor Bogan.
2: Oh, I'm not sure what I would would say, but I certainly had a wonderful uh, interaction with all of my students and I could tell toward the end that the cancel culture had taken hold. And in public policy courses, it was very hard to get anyone to say anything of substance. Um, And so I just hope that that the new Princeton, that Princeton goes on with uh, a real concern for looking at ideas, measuring them, trying to test them. What's a good, you know, when you have a hypothesis, what's a good way to test it? What would convince people that what you're saying is right? You know, all of these parts of the economics that we taught, um, they come together with, you gotta be willing to really look at facts, at data and analyze things and don't be afraid. Find professors who will listen to you. Don't be afraid.
0: That's wonderful. Professor Kleineman.
1: Well, So, you know, I'm in a different position from the other two in, the, in my mathematics courses. I really uh, have very few opportunities to talk about academic freedom, uh, but I'm, I'm known among my friends and colleagues as being somebody who speaks out. Uh, and uh, I, I do, I mean, it's pretty clear that uh, people are less willing to, to talk about controversial issues than they used to. Uh, and uh, that's very unfortunate. But uh, I'm obviously interested not just in in this, my own subject, but interested in uh, various things that have to do with uh, university. And of course, uh, what the other two have said, I am totally, totally for. Uh, you do have to have a vibrant universities, you have to have a, a, an atmosphere where people can talk about all sorts of issues without being afraid, without worrying all the time that whatever they said, if they say what they said, they will lose either their friends in the best possible case, and in the worst case, I, I don't know, maybe they will be kicked out of the university. Uh, so I really hope that we go back to a situation where, uh, where people can
0: talk freely Certainly. And, and, and I really appreciate all three of those perspectives. And, and if I were to put, put them all together, it seems as though it's very important for us to fight for free speech, but we also need to learn to use it. Because in the end, what's the point of, of all this, you know, of uh, writing uh, op-eds and and presenting arguments and, and 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 forwarding the cause of free speech in order to, to protect that speech? If nothing's being spoken in the first place. And so that's certainly something that us as students, we are uh, here to grow and into that. Uh, and we are so very lucky to have examples like you three who are uh, not only fighting for free speech, but using it. And so uh, I would like to thank you both for that and for coming on to the podcast today. Well, catch us next time on the Princeton Tory podcast, and we will keep you updated as Princeton continues for its free speech future.